Hello, hello. Welcome to the Funky Marketing Show, uh, to another episode. Today, I have a great pleasure to welcome Justin, founder and CMO and Impactable, uh, which is LinkedIn Ads agency and the agency who is, I don't know, maybe the agency that has done the most uh, when it comes to LinkedIn ads overall. So uh, more than uh, 1,500 B2B brands in 13 countries they covered. We're going to go and talk about lots of different stuff. How somebody who uh, who has started uh, as the, somebody from fast food turned out to uh, to be a founder and CMO and build and sell the marketing agency. And we're going to talk about LinkedIn ads, of course. So uh, before we actually go and start, uh, it's time for the for the intro. <music> makes me dance. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, sir. And that is definitely a pretty good intro. I like that. Yeah, it's a nice funky one. Yeah, so well, very uh, well done. tell me, I always like to think that where people are coming to marketing or from any other industry from a, a different background for something totally else, not starting in that industry, they tend to bring some things, some insights that they, uh, you know, that are unique for them. Uh, it's same thing that's happening right now as the B2B is changing, you know, like from B2C, things coming to B2B and those kind of stuff. My background yeah. is in activism, NGO, so like value first. And you have a totally different background, uh, as you yeah. said, like uh, based uh, in a food industry, a fast food industry, actually. Yeah, and uh, I like I like what you're saying about coming from a different background and kind of leveraging those unique strengths. And I think, I mean, when you're trying to be an entrepreneur and trying to start an agency, that's the best thing you can do is lean into what makes you different and your unique strengths. So for me, yeah, I mean, I, it's very strange sometimes when people find out that I come from uh, the restaurant industry, uh, but the strengths that I've leveraged from that would be building a team. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's an area that a lot of people are really weak because if you're going to go the agency route, which was a natural fit for me, the the two biggest things is, you know, can you relay your skills and train others and build up a team under you? And, you know, how are you going to structure that in order to scale? So coming from a restaurant, that was very natural. I liked the idea of going with the scaled approach maybe um, working on lower margins than, you know, instead of just pricing us ourselves really high and having a handful of clients, I really gravitated towards being at a, a lower price point and going the scaled approach and building a team. Uh, and I think exactly because of my restaurant experience. So I think that really helped me um, lean into that and, and do something different than, you know, what other agencies were doing in our space. Yeah, that sounds sounds interesting. So, so tell me what happened. So you decided to change, uh, you know, from restaurants to here is what Amir is saying, like skill to scale. Yeah, 
Um, I actually discovered, I think it was when I discovered LinkedIn. So I discovered LinkedIn maybe mm -hmm. five years ago and I was a restaurant operator. I was looking, I wasn't, I kind of got disillusioned. I got burnt out in the restaurant industry and I was looking for something different. So I actually came to LinkedIn to look for more opportunities. I took a really aggressive approach and started growing my network and adding people and talking to people that I thought might have opportunities. And that's kind of when I realized LinkedIn's a pretty, pretty nice platform that can create a lot of opportunity. And so I actually through LinkedIn became, became connected to some investors and actually started a restaurant franchise. Um, so we started a potbelly sandwich shop in Portland, Indiana, and then we bought three existing ones. And so I only had to put in the sweat equity. I didn't put any money in. Uh, the investors put the money down and I ran it for a percentage. Um, and then once I had kind of a cushy schedule, I had nights and weekends free. I came back to LinkedIn and said, you know, this is really powerful. I want to help other people leverage this platform. And so it started with like a LinkedIn lead gen agency initially um, before we pivoted into LinkedIn ads. But yeah, it started as a side hustle. It's just something that, I thought I could help other people with. And then when the pandemic hit, um, it was a perfect opportunity for me to kind of lean out of the restaurant, stop taking a paycheck from there and actually go full time into the startup. And uh, from there, it scaled up uh, pretty quickly. I, I mean, I got into LinkedIn at a really good time. LinkedIn lead gen was a really hot, hot topic. Um, and I had a decent following. So I think I just perfect timing, perfect opportunity. Um, and scaled it up until we eventually got acquired last year and pivoted into uh, the LinkedIn ad side more. Yeah, that sounds like pandemic is, when I think at the same time, like the start of pandemic seems like it happened yesterday, but actually like two and a half years ago, just disappeared. And yeah. in the in scope of that time, you actually built a business. Yeah, and it, yeah, it built really fast. I mean, we actually got to the point where um, we were managing 210 active LinkedIn outreach clients. And that was, that was a lot. I mean, the agency life can be pretty tough when you're managing even like 20 or 30 clients, but when you're managing a couple hundred at a time and it grows really fast, like that can, that can, that can break. It was, we learned a lot. We did a lot wrong. We had the, at one point there was like two day reply times, uh, like for emails, like we were just that behind and it, at that point, like it just naturally uh, deteriorated a little bit so that we could build it back stronger. Um, and when we got on the ad side, we did things completely different, learning kind of from, uh, you know, how we wished we would have built it uh, the first time. So <laughs> definitely a learning experience. That's good. Like it's always good when you have a second chance to actually try to, to do things differently. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it can get really messy. <laughs> The agency yeah, life is not for yeah, I, I know, I know. I, I decided to to opt out of it and go more yeah. into consultancy with following up the implementation. Just because, you know, I feel like, okay, we are doing things for the clients when it comes to the agency, but we are doing lots of things. Just we are going after new businesses just for to pay the people that yeah. are doing the things for us. And it's it's noble thing to do is that, but like I wanted the impact, so I decided to go in a different way. But but tell me, Amir has a good question before we dive into LinkedIn ads and all those other stuff. Uh, I think you can see in the chat as well the questions that are coming. Um, 
lead gen versus demand gen on LinkedIn. So you said you started with uh, with lead gen, and yeah. it's kind of it when you, when you started uh, to go more into the ads. Actually, that was the the main topic on LinkedIn. Like people yeah. started talking about demand gen and all the, that comparison started to become a thing. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, we started with lead gens and we were legit just doing outreach from personal LinkedIn accounts. It was very top of the funnel. And what, what I, what I realized then is that, you know, as an, as an agency, you know, whatever you offer, if you offer one thing, people need so many other pieces of the funnel, other pieces of the funnel or puzzle to actually make that effective. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard, like if you offer ads, but you know, they also need help with their landing page being optimized to convert more and they need help with their offer. And, you know, if you decide I'm only going to do this one piece, like, you know, it can be tough. Uh, you either just work with clients who have it all together or you try to like advise them or probably, you know, kind of where you went, where you work with less people and go deeper and have a bigger impact. But um, with the whole demand gen versus lead gen, the whole, the whole idea that we, we struggled with is, you know, we're, we're making contact. And when it was a, a quantity play, it actually makes sense. When you used to be able to send 50 to hundred connection requests a day, you yeah. could make your soft pitch, introduce yourself, and you would have enough conversations or hit enough people that it would be, you know, effective. So, but when they switched it to a hundred per day, the, the approach needed to change. And when we got into ads, the main thing that I realized too was you can send someone to your landing page, but people don't impulse buy B2B software or business services. They're not impulse buying five to $10,000 worth of a product or service on their first website visit. So what's the strategy after that? Um, and that's kind of how, you know, even before I was reading all this stuff on, on LinkedIn about the demand gen, which I feel like is mostly focused on the organic side, like creating content that creates inbound. I was kind of wrestling with, okay, well, I know I need to retarget these people and I know I need like what kind of content, you know, should I be putting in front of them and what objections are there? Like the first objection is it's just not the right time. So putting anything in front of them, that'll solve that. But then the other big objections are they don't know us. They don't trust us yet. So I decided to really focus on that. I'm going to create ads that help them know us better, humanize the brand and make them trust us more. And that started creating inbound people. You know, they got they got to know us through our ads, the retargeting, and they're reaching out, excited to talk to us. And we ditched the lead gen form on our uh, website. We stopped using lead gen forms and ads. And that kind of formula, um, you know, along lines of the demand gen, is how we create constant like inbound through you know using paid ads. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, that's the shift that is happening right now. I just saw like your latest post. You were also partially talking about that, how the whole digital marketing is changing. Um, but also, like, uh, if you just go to LinkedIn ads, try to do the, I don't know, the conversion campaign, and you go and take people to the landing page, LinkedIn uh, is not letting you actually play the ads because you are taking uh, information from people on that page. So, you know, if you just want to do that, you just do the lead ads on the lead form on LinkedIn. Yeah. So that's changed as well. LinkedIn doesn't want people to go to some other websites when somebody else will take the data from them in that way. Uh, so so tell me tell me a little bit about uh, about how do you see the, the ads and everything? How do you structure that? Uh, 
Because I mean, you just shared a little bit about it, but let's get deeper. Yeah. So the I guess a lot of it was just testing and, and working with brands and and kind of you know testing with them as well. And and also I get to peek into like their strategies, like when we take over accounts. So the the big thing I realized was that um, and yeah, I just made a post about ad frequency is that when you're running cold ads, you know, what is the whole purpose of that the whole purpose is not to get conversions, really. Um, it's to get digital hand raisers, because the one thing that I found is that when you're running a lot of times when you're running lead gen forms as a cold ad, it's the first time they've ever heard of you, seen you, saw an ad from you, and you're getting their information in a lead gen form. They produce a lot of weak leads. And I guess this is part of the lead gen demand gen. And, you know, we were getting all these complaints about, and we were seeing it too, that you might get 10 leads, but it would be hard to even get one or two of those people to actually take a phone call. So then it's like, why are they leaving information? Was there not like really any buying intent? They really just wanted your checklist. And so it became pretty apparent, like, you know, well, they've never even been to our website. They don't really know who we are, what we're about. Um, they don't get that whole feeling of, of who we are. So of course they're not like super excited to jump on the call. And if they did, it'd probably be a weak call, low chance of closing. So then I, you know, I kind of shifted mindset and I said, okay, my first goal is just to get them on my website. My website should be set up to tell them who we are, what we offer, give them a price range. So I don't care about selling right now. I want to get on the radar and I want to let them get to know who we are and what we offer. That's it. And then those people that visit the website, and I think LinkedIn ads is probably super cool for this one fact is that on you know Google display on Facebook, you can retarget website visitors, but you can't set certain rules like LinkedIn. LinkedIn lets you say, I want to retarget website visitors, but only if they're from these countries and only if they're from these industries and only if they're from these company sizes. And so you can actually qualify them through your LinkedIn retargeting. So that's actually really cool. Um, so then, like I said uh, in a little earlier, the whole thing became, okay, so what do I want to get in front of them? And I, and I had this thought and it was kind of like a mind shift and it was, what are 10, what are 10 or 15 things that I wish every single qualified prospect who was on my website could see? And if they could see these 10 or 15 things, you know, that would do its job to help them know us better, trust us more, and maybe be excited, you know, to jump on a call with us. And so it was case studies, uh, client testimonials, client success stories, um, a press release, uh, or us in the news. A, and then also, um, I think kind of really deep into the demand gen side is not even like ads, not ads at all, but like videos of us auditing LinkedIn accounts or giving expert opinion about an actual topic. Because what we found, and that's why I'm really big into uh, digging into YouTube right now, because I think the biggest thing that we can do, especially as a service provider, is showing our expertise. Um, and if clients, you know, people who have time but don't have money, sure, they'll steal your playbook, they'll try to do it themselves. But those aren't really good clients for us. The ideal clients, they have money, but they don't have time. And so all they need you to do is display your expertise. So that kind of reshaped how I thought about retargeting ads. And it's crazy because, I mean, I've been in the ad accounts of like publicly traded companies and well-funded startups and Series E, and they're their account structure is way less thought out and mature than ours on like a fraction of the budget. And I'm like, I have like this complex retargeting web with like 12 plus different campaigns. And theirs is like cold lead gen forms, retargeting lead gen forms. 
with half a million dollar budget um, a month. And I'm just like, Whew, there's a lot we could do with that. Um, so that's kind of how it might evolved. I mean, and when it was my dollars going into the ad account, you know, I had to account for not just leads, like things that would make me feel warm and fluffy because I saw those leads weren't closing. So I had to really evaluate what, you know, what we were doing and what we were putting in front of them. Um, so I think, I think me personally spending our money and knowing that our clients are there and making it work, I think that's what really pushed me to develop a strategy that, that actually worked for clients as well. Not just how can we get low cost per clicks and impressions and leads, you know, in order to make the client feel good, but what actually drives booked calls and revenue and, and can we track that and report it? Um, and that was a big thing too. Just yeah, I agree. And, and that, that's what makes, uh, you know, the agency differentiate from all the others. Like lots of companies are just not trying things out, not spending their own money to test things out, but listening, you know, ah, Justin is doing that with Impactable, like Nemanja is doing that with Funky. Let's try this out. It works. They said it works, you know, this kind of stuff. But uh, trust is something that, you know, especially today when, uh, you know, everybody can offer marketing demand is so high, like you need to create trust even before you get into the conversation with, with the companies. So uh, being able to test things out, to do things out, to share results, to share the way you are doing things. Also right now, we'll get into that the way you are uh, structuring the YouTube channel and starting all that, that part. It helps a lot to at least get to to the level when you are at zero, not from the minus when you start talking with companies. Yeah, very true. And uh, and I would say that it's building out in the open is has been really nice too. I mean, and the transparency, I would say even with posting on LinkedIn. So I was really active a couple of years ago when we first launched the lead gen side and then, you know, life business got buried and I started becoming less active. And it's crazy because you can have 30,000 followers on LinkedIn, but if you stop posting for a couple months, you're Everything basically back stop. to zero. Yeah. So I, I really re-energized myself earlier this year. So I've been reactive for about maybe three or four months again. Um, I already knew the basic formula. Not much has changed, but it's the showing up every day. And and again, like I don't care about getting likes and comments and, and views. I... I'm more of a, what is actually going to create an inbound conversation? What kind of posts actually lead to someone wanting to work with us? And so what I found is that, yeah, me just sharing, hey, this is our actual ad account. This is, you know, what I'm learning here. Those kind of posts are the things that actually generate conversations, DMs, and people say, hey, you know, I saw your post about how you did this, this, and this. That's what, you know, our company's thinking about doing. Do you think that could work? Um, and, and the, that's kind of what shaped my organic, um, but it's the same, it's the exact same idea. What, I, what works for organic makes great LinkedIn or makes uh, great ads. The only difference is ads guarantee distribution. So you could take an idea that generates really good um, inbound from organic, create that as an ad or a text and image and then put money behind it. And then, um, so I think, I think playing both of those sides uh, together has been really helpful as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I can recognize the things that we are doing as well. Uh, Ivars has a question. Uh, have you tried to target ads uh, to, I guess it's not for one, I guess it's to one or two specific companies and run them successfully by getting leads or whatever it is, the result. I guess yeah, it has so to be a huge company. 
Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, ABM account based marketing is seems like it goes in waves of being a trendy topic or or especially as you move up. I mean, so it's it's less with like scrappy startups and a little more when you're in mid market. And then when you start talking to larger enterprise clients, you know, the total addressable market that they're even going after might be a list of 500 companies. Um, and so I would say one or two. That's that's really tough because on almost any ad platform, um, it seems like it needs it needs or benefits from having more volume because it's only serving the ads of people that show up on LinkedIn or on the platform and when they do. And so if the if they're less active and the quality of those prospects is higher, then the cost per click or cost per lead is going to skyrocket. So I would I mean if if that's your total market is, you know, a handful of companies, then I guess I, what I would do is I would take my strategy for retargeting of these are the 10 things that I want to get in front of them, but I wouldn't wait until they clicked my cold ad. I would hit them with those five or 10 layers on the cold, you know, I would make those cold campaigns. And I guess at that point, I'm not even looking for them to click. I'm just looking to make sure they get exposed to these 10 things um, in order to maybe soften them up to get the click to get, you know, to get a foot in the door or soften them up and then hit them with actual direct emails and direct LinkedIn outreach. Once I know they've kind of been exposed to, you know, the different elements of our ad layers. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, talking about, about those things, I have, a I have a couple of questions that are now in my head. Uh, first one is, um, Showing ads in the feed and taking people off the platform through the ads or just going most of your ads, like just let's just educate people in the feed and have a couple of them, let's say one campaign that is taking people actually closing the demand and taking people to, to the website to convert or do whatever it is. How do you structure those things? Prefer I, I Preferably, I actually send them to a website if the website is mature and you know if it's optimized convert, for conversions right yeah can convert then sending them there is usually ideal if if it's a newer client their website is weak they don't haven't run a ton of ads sometimes it's easier or better to collect the leads in platform um and then have them work them but i would say in my experience sending them to the website is usually preferred because if the website does its job and is actually yeah, set up for conversions, then you want them there. You want them to get exposed. And um, and LinkedIn's actually pretty good about, um, well, I guess now things are a little wonky. I feel like my conversion tracking on not just Facebook, but Google ads and LinkedIn ads like this last week or two, I feel like they, they've been updating some stuff. Um, but usually for, like, for LinkedIn, you can... You can set up goalpost URLs for you know any kind of conversion. And the one thing that I made a huge difference in in our lives was when we stopped tracking form fills on our website. So if they visit your website, they fill out a form, they should ideally hit a thank you page like when they hit submit, and you can track that. But the biggest thing that we ever did was uh, when I realized that we used Calendly for call booking, and I could actually set up a URL redirect for Calendly to send them to a thank you page on our website to then track that as a conversion. And when we started tracking call bookings on all the ad platforms as conversions, instead of just form fills, 
it gives you it gives you what you actually should be chasing because otherwise, I mean, you could have 10, 10 form fills that only lead to one booked call, and then the other ad has five form fills but lead to three booked calls. And if you didn't, if you weren't tracking the booked calls, you'd put more and more money into ad set A, and that's you know it's incomplete information. So um, I think that happens a lot as well, where most of the clients we work with, they're not actually set up to be able to track a call booking in their ad platform. They'd have to go into Salesforce or HubSpot and and then backtrack. But I mean, the ad the ad campaign is optimizing to what it can see. So I mean, if yeah. if you have it if you have it tracking in HubSpot, like that's cool, but you need to actually try to have it set up in your LinkedIn ad campaign so that the platform can do its job too and, and work with information. Agree. That's super useful. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, it reminds me of what I've been doing at least last two weeks, like talking with clients, why we, should, we need thank you pages and why we need to set up things differently and go. I mean, it's, it's a topic that's around for like at least five yeah. years and it's still yeah. a topic like why should we, we can see everything in a hubspot but yeah. linkedin as the algorithm everything cannot see it you can see it, but they cannot see it uh so tell me about the um, to get things uh to narrow narrow like uh video text uh, photos carousels what works best for what what's what's your experience with that yeah, and I see a question about the the videos and and text compared. I, I like a variety, so I would say that my go-to, I think the most used in LinkedIn ads, is the single image or the sponsored ad, where it's intro text and an image and then the headline. And I think that is a good kind of bread and butter ad. Um, I would say that for and what you know what does better, video or text. So I I would say people have to kind of rethink what the what the goal or criteria is when they evaluate these. Cause if you're just thinking cost per click or click through rate, you know, video is mm -hmm. never going to have a chance. But if you're thinking about, you know, the impact, like what is better, like one click to the website or someone who views 97% of a video that talks about like specific pain points or, you know, a client case study. And so I would much rather retarget someone who watched 75% of that video versus, you know, clicked into the website. And then, so you kind of have to do some fuzzy math and say, you know, what is the actual value of that? And, you know, how many video views is worth, you know, or how many clicks is worth a video view. But um, when you, I would say layering and, and putting different layers is really effective. So in, in our funnel, it's super, super simple. Like in my personal account or our account, it's basically one really simple cold ad campaign that just gets on their radar that says, this is who we are, this is what we do. And then in the retargeting layer, we use single image ads, text ads, spotlight ads, some video ads, and they all have their different purposes. Some of the big differences are that text ads, I think are hugely underrated because you can get, uh, I did this video and it showed that, you know, my single image ads, I've put like, you know, $5,000 behind it in, in this one retargeting campaign in the, since January. And it's had, I think, 150 or 200,000 impressions and X amount of clicks. The text ads had $700 behind them so far, but had almost a million impressions. So they get way lower cost or uh, click through rate. So if that's what you were determining it by, like, you know, they suck. But you, the amount of times they get put on someone's feed and the light exposure you get 
for the amount of money is incredible. So you could have a single image ad on their feed. They could also, you know, see a little text ad over here and then a spotlight ad over here and then a follower ad. So I would say use them in different layers. Um, for, for cold, I would say single image ad or a really good video would probably be best and just keep it simple. And then I would use a lot of those different layers um, together in the retargeting and they kind of all serve a different purpose and have different you know, pros and cons. Yeah, sounds, sounds logical. Um, one more thing while we're at that. Perfectly designed visual or just a native photo? I mean, the quality does matter, but trying new things and moving quickly usually gets better results than, you know, waiting for perfection. Um, and no one, yeah, no, no, one no can, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. here meaning like high quality photo, uh, in any case, but it can be, okay. I don't know, like, uh, download real estate trends, designed banner, everything versus just like a, a photo of, uh, of buildings, nice, oh. nice little photo of buildings, for example. Oh, like, should you put like text on the image or, or yeah, um, one, one without one with? Yeah, I would say I've, yeah, I've seen it a lot both ways. I like to put a couple, I wouldn't clutter the image. I would say I do like to have a couple of words, like a main thought mm -hmm. on the image, just because it's so much real estate um, that, that you get and just having the image with an intro text and the headline, I feel like you, it could be a missed opportunity. Um, I guess my marketer's answer is test both, um, and yeah. see where you come out. But usually I think I actually like to have, um, very simple phrase or like a one liner or something on the image, keep it simple. Don't clutter it. But I do like to use that space to get some kind of message across. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think it's important to, to mention because, uh, I see a lot of uh, companies making a mistake when it comes to the frequency. And you also wrote about it today. I think it's it's worth mentioning the importance of the frequency. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, I I mean, I was in doing marketing for a couple of years before I even like, it was something I even considered. But so I guess it's worth saying, you know, what frequency is. It's, it's the amount of, or the number of times the average prospect sees an ad from a particular campaign and LinkedIn does a good job. It shows you, you know, the frequency for a campaign group, a campaign, and then even a particular ad and, and LinkedIn can mm -hmm. automatically optimize and put more and more spend behind the ads that are doing the best. So oftentimes, even if you have 12 different creatives in a campaign, if you didn't go in and set, you know, show these evenly distributed, um, which is what I would do for a lot of retargeting campaigns, is it'll just pester them with one single ad and people could get like ad fatigue. Um, and so I would say looking at the frequency is, is really important. And that's kind of what informed my, um, my strategy around cold and retargeting. Because over time I realized that the average frequency for typical cold campaigns is less than two, which means you could mm -hmm. keep having all these different creatives and amazing ideas, but the average prospect is only gonna see one or two of those ads. So really the strategy there should be boil it down to the best one or two ads in order to get that initial click. But then you look at the average frequency for a retargeting campaign and it's you know 10 to 15 over 30 days. So then you have to think, well, now 
I only have four creatives in this campaign, but the average frequency is 15. I should probably put some more creatives in that campaign and, and have them rotated. Um, and then that's, that's kind of where my mind went of, okay, if the average frequency is 15 for this campaign, then that means what do I actually want to show them? I have these 10 or 15 touches. I really need to think about what, what would be the best things or what different messages. And it shouldn't just be like 15 versions of the same ad, you know, swap out, swap out the intro text, swap out the image. Like it should be different ideas, concepts, pain points or highlights or, you know, and then see what you have more traction with, with, um, with actually doing that kind of AB testing. Yeah, sounds logical. But let's let's use that to to kind of uh, now expand a little bit and talk about all the things and how actually digital marketing has changed, especially a B two B perspective. Because all those things that you now mentioned, the way you guys are doing ads and the way you are structuring it, leads to change of a mindset to extract the contact, but get in touch with them and then give them the answer to all the things that they need to create the, you know, uh, structure decision to actually come to you inbound and buy. I would say some of the, the biggest ways that I've seen uh, marketing change, and I feel like I have a really good advantage because I didn't kind of grow up in the marketing industry. Mm-hmm. So I came with a very fresh, you know, I want to learn, I want to test, I have no preconceived ideas about what I should be doing. So it, it was really easy for me to test, 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 like lead gen forms to cold audiences and eBooks and, and kind of realize like they produce really weak leads. And I talked to a lot of sales team that were basically like, I don't, you know, I don't want these, <laughs> these crappy eBook leads from LinkedIn to be like put on my desk every week and have me like chase them down. I feel like I'm just wasting my time. And so I had a lot of those conversations with, you know, companies and teams because we take over ad accounts and we basically be running the playbook that they wanted at first. And those were the conversations we had. So I, the biggest shift that I see is people do have this idea that demand gen versus lead gen is, is a thing. And these big companies, though, they're so dependent or so used to getting their, their MQLs and having a, a, a certain number of leads. And the marketing, is, the marketing team is judged on the number of leads they provide. And so it's like this big freak out of, you know, if we shift some of the budget and then we're, our, the number of leads drops by 15%, like, you know, what's going to happen? Like, that's that much less that's in our pipeline. Um, so the biggest thing that I've tried to push for as much as possible is kind of what I mentioned earlier is, can we judge this by something else? Like, instead of judging by how many leads we get, can we judge by how many booked calls we're getting from, you know, this from this channel and from that channel? Because that's usually the big debate too, between Facebook and LinkedIn. They say LinkedIn ads are too expensive. And my very first question is, what are you basing that on? Is that cost per click? Is that cost per lead? Is that the cost per an actual qualified like meeting? And normally it's, you know, it's cost per click and cost per lead. They have no idea what the cost of a qualified meeting from Facebook is because if they did, and then they compare that to a cost of a qualified meeting from LinkedIn, they would realize that, you know, the, the co- it's, it's actually usually better on LinkedIn. The quality of that call is better. The deal sizes that come from those calls are usually better. And the only reason they're so dependent on, you know, certain metrics or certain leads is because it's this warm, fuzzy number. 
Um, but we actually see that a lot of, they, they kind of want to, there's new marketers in the company that want to make the shift, but then they have to sell it to leadership. And those are, uh, that's a, those are tough to work with because it's like, you're trying to help them do something, but there's so much red tape in order to, to for them to try to make that shift in the company and get buy-in and give you this tiny budget to prove yourself before they'll like inch more and more budget into, you know, the tactics they know are going to work. But it, I think it's changing a little bit as now the the age of the decision maker is changing. Like the new yeah. generation are coming and the, the mindset is changing. But I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm still seeing that so many so many companies uh, want to go in any case with MQL, lead gen model. And then I need to go in there and work at least three months on their account for that goal. Yeah. One example that it can work better. Something yeah. in parallel just to show them that the things are not as they seem. And uh, one thing I recently heard is like I was help, helping another agency with a, with a client and they, the, the client told them like ah, the other agency was bringing like 5,000 uh, 5, leads per month. And he kept repeat, repeating that. And I was like, okay, but how many of them did you close? Well, one or not even one. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. It's just important for, for him to kind of, you know, get that I get leads. So there's a possibility that something will happen yeah. in that way. I guess in their mind, security or something like that. Yeah. Or, or in their mind, it's like, well, you know, now it's, that's the only equation they know is 5,000 leads produces, you know, one or two clients. So really, if I want four or five new clients, I need 10,000 leads. And it's like, yeah. there's a there's a different way of thinking. You could have <laughs> like 200 leads and close five clients. <laughs> Just how you're, how you're qualifying a lead and how you're getting it um, is really different. Yeah, I agree. That's- Yeah, so uh, for all the people listening uh, and now they say, okay, I wanna do what, uh, what Justin and his teams are team uh, are doing. So, so tell us a little bit about how big is the team, and you know how how those things work. Yeah, we've so we've been in business for a couple of years now, or I guess three and a half years now. And we went through a, an acquisition last year, where um, as as we we're pivoting away from the outreach side, we got bought out by a data heavy investor. So we're about a team of 15 or 20 of us, um, mostly US-based. There's a lot of them in Texas. I'm actually in Indiana now. Um, our head of client support is in um, Ohio. And we we meet, uh, <laughs> we're a pretty tight-knit group. We, we have our annual get-togethers uh, that started last year. And so that's been exciting. Um, but as far as we've really dug deep into the LinkedIn ad side, and we're, we do offer other services. So we offer Google search, we're offering multi-channel, uh, LinkedIn outreach, uh, soon to be programmatic and display. Um, and we're gonna be adding on other stuff. And I guess one of the cool things that we have now that you know with bigger resources and bigger pockets than I was able to bring as a solopreneur or you know a, a solo entrepreneur that, that started this is the, we're actually building our own kind of um, B2B automation software that would help tie in, you know, LinkedIn outreach, identifying website visitors. Um, so one of the really cool things we're working on right now is we're working on kind of an offering in a system that would drive traffic to the website, you know, 
LinkedIn ads, Google search, mm -hmm. however, identify those website visitors um, and then qualify them and then cue them into some kind of um, automated touch that would be like LinkedIn outreach. So you could actually identify the website visitors on your, on your site, qualify them, and then personally reach out uh, with your LinkedIn account or email um, to those warm touches. And kind of like I said before, when LinkedIn outreach took a real dive is when you couldn't do the quantity play anymore. The best thing to do would be a, qual a quality play. And it makes it a, it's a hard case to do for, for cold outreach. But if you were actually just reaching out to people that were already on your website and were kind of qualified to be ideal clients and only reaching out to those, that kind of turns that into a, a nice little touch. Um, but we're really focused on LinkedIn ads right now, going deep with kind of the retargeting framework. And I'm really um, also really excited to build our, our YouTube channel and community and just build like a, I want to build in my mind, like the biggest YouTube collection of how to and LinkedIn ads expertise, which I did a little research and apparently I don't think that'll be too hard because there's not, there's not a dozen people in the world trying to build a, a huge uh, LinkedIn ads resource on YouTube. I think outside of LinkedIn's own channel, there's only a, a handful of people who have even 20 or 30 videos. So I had this big mindset, like I'm going to attack this. And then I realized it's probably not going to be like the hardest thing to accomplish because um, there's not a lot of people trying to do that, which is surprising to me, but uh, I'll take it. Yeah. But you know, you, you saw the, the potential there. You saw that not actually anybody except LinkedIn is doing that and you stand for it. I mean, that, that's how, that's how, uh, that's the mindset of somebody who, you know, who is building things and yeah. who is trying out things and going for it. Uh, actually I will have like, I think uh, on 16th of May, an episode with, uh, with a friend of mine who's the expert for LinkedIn search and all those things. So any questions you have until then that you didn't solve out, just bring it on. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll ask him because uh, I asked him for our YouTube account because we were just posting. I didn't focus on YouTube. Uh, but then I realized we have 400 videos and, and nobody's seeing us. <sighs> so yeah. let, now we're in a, in a process of like optimizing all of yeah. them, deleting some of them and, you know, like adding the headlines, which are more like clickbait-ish, the right yeah. thumbnails those kind of stuff. I mean, those are all the things that we all know. Just sometimes somebody needs to push us, you know, like yeah. start implementing those things. Cause like, even now if you go on Google and you type in uh, something that you are offering, like yeah. the biggest possibility is that you will get the YouTube link if you got the right answer to the right question. Yeah. And that's a, uh... And I think that's one of the things that got me really excited about YouTube is I, I like I, I liked the idea that you could show your expertise. And I knew for like a marketing or a service type business that showing your exp expertise is one of the best lead gen magnets. But then the more I got into it, I realized that it's so much like YouTube is so much like uh, Google search and SEO where people are every day there. You know, we all know as business leaders that SEO and, and being able to rank or capture some of those those high intent, you know, searches and traffic like is good for us, but we don't necessarily put YouTube in the same bucket. And as I was looking through their metrics, like you can there's 
organic Google search and you can track how many people find you through search, how many people find you through the homepage, through yeah. notifications and playlists. And, and yeah, the more I, the more I get into it, I realize that you can rank for individual videos and for your channel and for playlists. And there's ways to weave them together. Kind of like SEO on an actual website is, is one area that I'm actually pretty weak on that I'm trying to educate myself on. But from my understanding, it works a lot of the same way with like internal linking where you can have, you know, this video, then you curate the end card that leads into another related video or a playlist. And you can have, um, you know, or in the description, it's very keyword sensitive of what, how you want to tag your video and rank and for what questions. And you can do, you can do research and see on this topic, you know, what are the most searched phrases or questions or, or whatever topics that people are curious about and produce content around those areas. Um, and it's, it's been kind of exciting. I mean, we only have, um, almost a couple hundred subscribers. So, I mean, we're still in the baby stage, but, uh, I think, uh, I think it's going to be a, a really nice long-term play for us for sure. Yeah. It's, it gets interesting, you know, like you can see exactly like which other video brings, brings traffic to your channel yeah. or like, you know, uh, and then you can see, aha, this is related. Maybe I can do another uh, another video, another episode, and merge those two, and then you just keep yeah. building. So that's at the very really at the very least retargeting website visitors with uh, with YouTube ads. Um, I think that I mean I'm a big fan of retargeting. If they come to your website, then anything you can do to get in front of them across multiple channels. And I think I think it's also when I started spending my own money and originally on Google search. And I realized that, you know, the best searches are like $50 per click. And then it's like, I'd feel okay about paying that as long as I know I'm going to do my best to get that conversion out of that click, which it would be, you know, omni-channel retargeting. And, uh, and yeah, so YouTube retargeting of your website visitors with little 15, 30 second clips or feeding them into your channel, uh, I think makes a lot of sense too for B2B. Or anyone. Yeah. Basically, like if we are talking about YouTube, you just need one or two videos to blow out, and that's it. People will find yeah. you for life. Yeah. Exactly. I was talking with with Mike Vinet. He said like when LinkedIn banned him, YouTube <laughs> was the one source of income that he had, and like two videos blow up, and that's all. Jeez, and that's diversifying. I mean, that's a whole nother. I've I've struggled so much with. Uh, because I run a LinkedIn ads agency, but the name LinkedIn can't really appear in any of my ads. I can't oh, use yeah, you the, wrote about the logo. Ago, I remember. We even had to change our original name of LinkedIn Learn because we got um, we got a cease and desist letter from LinkedIn saying that it was too close to LinkedIn Learning, and we sold similar you know products. So I I learned to diversify my channels as much as possible because. Any any given month, you know, one or two of my channels could be struggling or get hit with policy changes. Then I, you know, if I'm over reliant on LinkedIn organic or LinkedIn ads or Google search, you know, I could be in real trouble. Uh, so that's why I'm also kind of probably more scrappy and, and searching for other channels and constantly testing is because I kind of have this uh, this healthy fear that I need to diversify more and more. Um, but it, it works out. Yeah, yeah, I, I had the same experience. I was running LinkedIn local, and then I didn't want to do it over the uh, NGO that was running the event. So I found uh, LinkedIn.local. 
I think that was the the domain, but yeah. you know, I couldn't do it because because of the same thing, everything that's related yeah. to LinkedIn. Yeah. That's how it that's goes. Tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean tough. that's that's how it is. So what we can do. I now like I see Jasper, the AI mm-hmm. tool for writing, they are having problems with uh, with Marvel. Oh yeah, yeah. Because of the name, they had to change the name. But now uh, they are informing I'm an affiliate, so they are now informing us that we need to change affiliate links because Marvel will sue them even if they see the affiliate link. So <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's like good news, bad news. Your good news is you're big enough for some huge mega corporation to take notice. The bad news is like if you don't change something, they're gonna squash you like a bug. Because <laughs> we can't. <laughs> yeah. I mean can't afford to, to go to court with like LinkedIn to try to keep our name. So we didn't even, we didn't even fight. We're just like, okay, on to the next, change our name. The worst part though, is they seized our LinkedIn ad account. So all my retargeting data, all our, we were getting steady conversions, had to rebuild that from scratch. But I tried to see the silver lining and, and build it back better than it was. And uh, I think we did. So that was nice, but she's. Yeah, as, as, as I'm listening to you, I'm seeing I'm seeing that there's one of uh, that's one of your strength to big big things build things better, you know, yeah. from the start. I'm like a cockroach. You can't you can't squish us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, uh, this has been a great. Uh, tell me one thing that you would uh, recommend or advise people for the end that they can take away from the episode. I would say to evaluate your your marketing channels. If you're not using LinkedIn ads, of course, I would highly recommend. Um, I would highly recommend that it get some of your budget uh, in 2022. At the very least, I would say retarget your website traffic with LinkedIn ads. The ability to filter out just your best fit kind of ideal clients and put ads in front of them um, is amazing. And then I would say the biggest thing that I'm focusing on this year is what you're putting in front of them. Retargeting ads is like guaranteed distribution and you should use that space, not just to hit them with eBooks and and lead gen forms, but to build trust and credibility with your audience, show your expertise and focus on driving, you know, inbound because those kind of people that, that see that kind of web of retargeting and actually reach out to you, those are really strong leads that are excited to talk to you. They're going to close at a high rate. They're going to spend more money. Um, and, and that's what I'm really big on this year. And, and my biggest advice for, for most companies that I talk to. Sounds good guys. Uh, one thing that you can do is uh, make sure you follow Justin, make sure you follow the, the team. Uh, also now press stop and go back to the beginning of the episode. Cause you miss some of the things that, this Justin has shared with us. Uh, listen to everything again, uh, and then you know, start from his LinkedIn. Go and see what they are doing. Try experimenting. Message Justin if you have some questions or you need help with him. Uh, and also one thing that uh, I'll make sure that we have links in the description that you know how to visit the Impactable website. Everything else. Uh, they have the newsletter, which is also bringing bringing the value. Uh, I gotta say, I just subscribed, so uh, <laughs> I, I I'm gonna guess it's good. And uh, for all of you, as we said at the end of the episode, just guys, keep it funky and uh, and see you around. Justin, thanks, man. 
awesome. 